0: I think from this point on, we
1: have to call the, We have to decide what we call quadrupeds. Yes. Just dogs, I guess. Like you worked yes. on dogs, robot Basically, dogs,
0: robot dogs. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> and both of you are postdocs in robot dog research. I mean, that's, that's a bit crazy. I mean, is this like when you talk to like normal civilians outside of the <laughs> academia, <laughs> do you, when you introduce yourself, like, oh, I do research on robot dogs, does it like get you a weird? Uh, reply maybe a sparkle in people's eyes
2: yeah the reaction is uh, some people are oh yeah that's cool some people are just oh taking our job
0: right
1: oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah you get that a lot i think if you mention robotics yeah, anyone
0: like it's one of the main fears yeah <laughs> i think it's becoming okay now
2: i don't i feel maybe 10 years ago people were more focused on that now you are robot everywhere and it's just normal and people are not that afraid anymore I think.
1: and out of all robotics i mean robot dogs are the the most acceptable right i feel like people have seen it on youtube people have an understanding it's a bit cute it has a cute effect on it so
2: they are they both uh some people think oh that's really cute and some people are just afraid because it's a robot that mimics something that is living. So you have people, oh, that's uh, very frightening. Like if you look at the Black Mirror episode with query pen robot killing everybody.
1: <laughs> I, I didn't like Black Mirror at all. I watched a bit, but we'll get back to that. But do you ever, do you ever like, sometimes I look back in my com- relatively shorter career than yours and be like, I build robots, man. Like, like always. you guys, okay, for people who don't know, like there is, you have a four-year master's degree after you finish high school, then you do decide to do a doctorate degree, which is like four to five years. In some places it's less, like in the UK you can do a three-year. In China, I think it's like five plus years. In yeah. America, it's also very long.
0: Yeah, it can be up to seven years. I up think, to, let's say
1: five to seven years of hardcore, you know, bleeding edge research. And after that, in between the doctorate degree and being a professor in robotics, there is the postdoc. And that's where you guys are. Like you are postdocs, closest thing to a professor in robot dogs. That is not a professor in robot dogs. Uh, like, do you, do you yeah, ever look back it. and like say, no way, like, oh, I'm, I'm different.
0: Well, it is quite crazy, yeah, if you think about it in that way, like, like, after you said it, like, you know, like, it, it is cool, but, like, you know, when, when you're working on it, I feel like, at least in my case, I was surrounded by people that were doing the same job, so it became normal after a while, like, I don't know, to me now, it sounds, doesn't sound like I'm doing anything crazy.
1: On you, Mathieu.
2: Yeah. It's just uh, when you go on the path, it's, so when you do a PhD, you still have a salary. So it's like a first job and then postdoc is a bit better job, Uh, but yeah, it's uh, doesn't feel like you are doing just studying uh, for 10 years. It's just, you are working on, on robotics. It's just a different kind that you have in industry, more like research, but still, still a job. You get a salary, you do play with robots. So it's really nice.
1: Did you feel like you were pushed in the direction to work with robot dogs specifically instead of maybe a humanoid or maybe a board, like a robot arm? Did you feel like a connection with the do you feel like it was cooler? That's why you chose it? Or was it just a chance?
0: I think in my case, it was mostly chance. Like what I was really interested in was the idea of kind of like giving life to objects, like taking a piece of metal and like making it move. That was all I cared about. And... And then there were other factors that weren't necessarily related to humanoids or quadrupeds but more about like, the, the institution where you want to do your PhD. So like, I chose that and the, uh, I, chose, I decided that I wanted to, uh, to make my PhD at the Italian Institute of Technology. And in that lab, in that institute, there were two options, either the quadruped or the, the humanoid. So I applied for both, but I did prefer the um, the quadruped because that specific quadruped was hydraulic, and because I came from a mechanical engineering background, I was more interested in that compared to electric robots. So it just happened, but I, I wouldn't say I, I had a particular connection to quadrupeds. Now I do because I've been working on it for like seven years, but like in the beginning, it was just a chance.
1: And you, Mathieu?
2: So for me, uh, I started to work in a research lab at the end of my master. Uh, So the lab was actually just next to my school, my engineering school, and I did the, the internship, like the last part of the master, the internship there. And yeah, like when you look, it was humanoid robot, not quadruped robot actually. And yeah, that's like, I, I feel it's the top of, like when you talk about robot and you think about like, what would be the most advanced robot, humanoid and quadruped, I think it's it's right what you have in mind. Uh, so yeah, that was a very good experience. I went there and did my internship then Uh, engineer, then PhD stayed there almost five years. And then when you work on humanoid, it's all the locomotion. It's the same principle. It's legged robotics. So humanoid or quadruped robot, it's very similar. Uh, And yeah, I just applied to Oxford and it was actually I was actually very lucky because the project was managed It was, I was hired on a European project and it was run by my uh, PhD supervisor. So like the topic of the project was right in my, what I did during my PhD. So it was like when they published the, the hiring uh, thing, the description of the job was exactly my profile. So it wasn't really that difficult for me to get the job like just perfect fit. Um, So yeah, a lot of luck.
1: Do you, do you feel like Romeo as well, where there was some sort of magic behind it, like putting life into these, do you, do you guys maybe having spent almost decade in top echelon of dog robots and dog, um, human robot research, um, that maybe the magic wears off. Um, but did you have that in the beginning where, you were like this is this is almost a living thing that i'm building like it walks it trips you know when it uh when it falls it's it's so naturalistic looking like did you have that magic as well
2: yeah i think so like yeah i remember even when i was like just a child i was already amazed by robot like I remember watching on the TV, like the French uh, robotic cup and I was, wow, that's so amazing. And yeah, when you start working on, on a humanoid robot and you see it move, like everybody is amazed by that. I guess after some time you just see more the machine than a living thing. But yeah, when you try to step back and look at what you are working on, you are, oh yeah. That's... That's awesome. You are listening to... The XOR.
0: Human conversations at the frontier of technology.
1: This is the XOR. The XOR. The XOR.
0: The XOR. The XOR.
1: The XOR. XOR. Both of you, um, You spent quite some time together at the Oxford Robotics Lab, right? Like, um, what will be your specialties, right? Like, what... Describe in very few words, what engineering you did at, like while doing your postdocs?
0: Uh, maybe I can start? Yeah, well, start. I mean, basically, I would say my, my skill is the, the capability of like turning the, 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 the desired action that you want the robot to, to achieve into commands for the motor, so it's basically about designing the software on the robot that will transform like the desired motion of the robot in a given direction into uh, a current or a torque command to the motor, and that often you know includes also uh, considering cameras that. You know, uh, that can let's say show what's the environment about the robot. So, yeah, I would. Was it I like? Would, would you it say initially. it was more
1: taking taking the environment and the desired goal of walking or trotting or running into actual like electrical commands to the motors, right?
0: Yeah. Yes. Exactly.
1: What field is that? Perception. Was that more perception or control?
0: Well, I would call it perception when you include. What we call exteroceptive sensors, like cameras and lidars, because that's what gives the robot the yeah the ability to perceive the world around him. Otherwise, when you just use like um, the onboard sensors on the robot, that's that's called control, as far as I know.
2: Yeah, control yeah. or planning. Motion depending. planning. Yeah which uh, part you are working on.
1: What's your specialty?
2: Same, same uh, control on the robot. Uh, so maybe to go a bit more on the detail of the work, it's mainly uh, trying to study the physics and then from that, uh, trying to build algorithm to make the robot work and then code that, uh, just mainly C++. Put that on the robot and try to make it work. Um, so yeah, it's a lot. We have we are using a lot of optimization algorithm um, just to to simplify uh, things. To so instead of trying to define exactly the solution, you will just define a problem uh, where the solution will be the robot walking. And then you let the machine just solve the the problem. So like just a simple example, if I want the hand to grab the, the cap, uh, I can design an algorithm where my objective is to minimize the distance between the end and the cap. And then I let just machine compute all the the parameters and try to come up with the solution uh, itself.
0: Yeah, I guess the goal is to make sure you don't have to, we say, hard code the motion, but you actually come up with something general that um, can work in multiple solutions, in multiple cases, even if the cap is not exactly here, but it's like five centimeters, to the right then you want the, the robot to be able to adapt to that sort of um let's say un- unexpected event so yeah i think that's what the modern research is focusing on otherwise if you just you know write in the software every single motion that falls into the traditional industrial robotics that has been already around for decades i would say
2: Yeah, and one thing also that we did uh, is trying to mix normal control algorithm with machine learning. Machine learning is very similar to what I was saying. It's just that instead of trying to solve the problem online, you just um, do a lot of simulation and try to find the complex function to make the, the robot work. Uh, but it's still based on, on optimization. You will still try to minimize something. It can be like if you do reinforcement learning, your task is to maybe walk at one meter per second, something like this. And it will try to change all the parameters in the neural network to try to minimize uh, this error and try to make the robot go at the velocity you ask.
1: That's very interesting because when I had my first experience with the humanoid robots, that was my first thing that was like, oh, can we not do just goal oriented programming? Can we not just say, like, pick up this box and, you know, if you slip, pick it up again. It's like, that's your goal. And then I realized, like, no, that's like the edge of like what's possible. That's like the edge of, you know, AI as we know it to have goal oriented programming to just say, you know, here is a problem let the robot fix it and then hypothetically like learn on that. So then the next problem it can just, you know, immediately yeah. execute just like children do. Right. But then I was like, it's like, can we don't do that. Can, like, mm-hmm. do I have to write, write everything, like every edge case? And they're like, yeah, you do yes, exactly. like, yeah, it's actually yeah.
0: what you have to do. <laughs>
1: like at an early level, like at university, it's like, ah, oh, you know, put your arm here and this is this exact coordinate and then yeah. like maybe Move in this direction with this velocity with this much force, and if the box that you're carrying slips out of your hand, you're screwed. Like, uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. like, like it's. But then yeah, like, do you think that or will at all be like that's where we're going? That that's really is the the goal of robotics to uh, software maybe especially like, moving in the direction where. You just define goals like define super high level ideas like, survive or, you know capture the flag or whatever. And then the entire complex space of possible solutions, possible actions is just, you know, it's none of your problem anymore.
2: Yeah, I think uh, like currently one issue is that you don't have robot everywhere just because, because it's difficult to program them, to make them do what you want. But as soon as you can just say, oh, clean the kitchen, and the robot is able to do it, then that will simplify a lot of things for the users, but also maybe for like industries, like currently, if you have to say, oh, the robot need to go here, then here, then here, it's a lot of work. Why? If you can just say, oh, screw all the screws there, then simplify a lot and you can reduce the, the time to set up a factory or something like this.
1: Do you think that's at all possible? Like how how far are we from that? Like, or have you seen something remotely close to that where it's? Uh,
2: Yeah, I think there there is a paper from Google uh, where they just give, I think it's just a voice uh, thing. Like someone say, oh, I dropped my can of uh, soda and the robot then need to go take a sponge to clean and then bring another can to the person. And yeah, they, I think they, in the paper, they say the robot is able to do like 80% of the time to do the right task and then achieve to do the task, like maybe 70%, something like this. But yeah, it's like you, you, I think a, a big improvement is also like now you can have natural language uh stuff like all the um don't remember the name of the is it dolly no dolly is for drawing Dolly's for pictures uh, like the, I don't know. there's a they thing that came dolly. out
1: recently called whisper i don't know if you know uh that, no, that was like no, uh, the that. latest and the greatest and it's it's always open source and it's crazy oh, is it?
0: i should try it but yeah basically <laughs>
1: you're saying like with the introduction of like open source like machine learning models uh voice models um
2: yeah you now you can easily just identify what the person is saying you have neural networks now that can understand text and trying to understand the meaning of some text and deduce some action from that Um, so yeah it's uh i think yeah ai like it's it's gonna be the next big thing like I'm so amazed by all the, the thing like Dolly. Uh I, I like two weeks ago I think I downloaded the stable diffusion, it's the open source one. Uh, just playing on my computer trying to <laughs> generate something. It's, yeah, I think it's the next next big big thing that can can just explode.
1: Yeah, I've spent a lot of time on uh, these image generations. Um, I think I've run out of in Stable Diffusion. I ran out of like tokens, like that's how many times I like oh, really? I tried. No, Stable well, Diffusion is open not-
2: source, so you
1: can download. Well, yeah, I think the the web thing. Um, maybe if you download the Python library, um, uh, you right. can do it as many times. Do you feel like obviously, like you know, the intersection of robotics and AI is definitely like the AI is really the key to get this mass market. But as engineers, like, you guys are, I guess, engineers going into software, right? Like, you're, you yourselves, do you, do you view yourself as, like, machine learning engineers? Probably not, right? Do you feel like you're missing out on the where the fun is, basically?
0: Um, well, maybe, maybe a partially yes. Like, I, I don't have a machine learning background, but yeah, I, I do agree that, like, um, that's where the future is and like if i want to keep up with like the technology i do have to work on that too it's you know if you have experience with a humanoid or a quadruped you just see how obvious that it is that there are simply too many details that uh, too many things you have to take care of and you can't simply you know engineer them all and machine learning kind of offers that help you need right kind of offers the the I don't know, the the possibility to like gather all the parameters in in one goal like you were saying before right you just instead of having to tune 20 different parameters you just give a goal to the robot and that that is so incredibly helpful and allows you to focus on you know like the the other tasks right like making sure that the quadruped cannot just do one task but they like can do you know can be versatile they like can do a lot of things do
1: you feel like there is um we'll take a couple of steps back but um you know the field of robotics is enormous right and you there's so much there's not enough life to like really learn all these skills but is like control systems really underrated? Like it's, it's equally as hard and you can do a, a PhD in postdocs and control systems and miss out on maybe the hype of the current AI and machine learning world and reinforcement learning that maybe borders on control. But what, what do you think? Like, do you think it's uh, if you had a really, really experienced control systems engineer, you might be overshadowed By someone, uh, maybe, and also, I mean, what the salary-wise, yeah, right now it's just not even comparable. There's a
0: big gap. Well, personally, I think that they're both very important skills to have, and like, if you only are a machine learning engineer, you might end up and you know nothing about control, you might do end up doing things that are probably like an overkill. Like they could be like more complex than they could be if you were following classical control theory. So, yeah, I mean, the way I see is that both control theory and machine learning they are tools and you need to know when it's best to use them without having like any prejudice, like any preference. Like I, I I prefer machine learning or control. You just have to know when they work the best.
1: But in the end, just do machine <laughs> learning, right? Yeah. <laughs> well
0: well I, I personally like control because you need to have a very good understanding of the physics behind it, like Mathieu was saying. So, you know, that's just a personal preference. Like I like I'm very fascinated by the the fact that with maths you can describe what happens around us and i don't know um, using control theory uh, it's just like such a um, an incredibly powerful tool that like i don't think you should miss out like if you just know machine learning you will not necessarily you know capture this this, uh, I don't know, the, the power of control theory, I think.
1: What right, you, Mathieu?
2: Yeah, I think there is uh, there is advantage and disadvantage of, of machine learning. Uh, so I still think control is something really useful, just because sometimes you want to do something easy, and you don't want to spend just hours training a neural network to do it, and yeah, if if you can do just simple control, it will be always useful. So uh, I see like two things that complement each other. I would think, um, yeah, just for simple stuff, control is is very good. Uh, is I I feel like mainly machine learning is when things get hard, like doing ma- making a robot work. It's it's fine. You can do it with control. The, the issue is always like, oh, but what to do if you trip on something? Uh, what's the motion? How do you detect that? That's a lot of engineering. And if you do some machine learning, you can just have example in simulation of that you train for a few hours, maybe a few days, and then you have the robot that just move the leg to avoid the collision. or do a reaction to to react to the collision. And that's much easier than just trying to program yourself. Oh, when you trip at this time, maybe change the foot position. Yeah, we've definitely
1: seen a lot of that now. Yeah. Hmm.
2: So yeah, I think we still need both just because also like machine learning, you are never sure exactly what the robot can do, and sometimes maybe for safety, you want to be sure that like if you ask the robot to not move, it won't move at all. Uh, and if you just have some control part, you can really uh, design as you want, really control uh, the part you want to have, really enforce control on them.
1: Hmm. These are good answers. I feel like I'm neither. I feel like I'm not I'm not, I would say, I wouldn't, I have a, a like, external observer opinion on this. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. not, like, <laughs> uh, involved in, yeah, in either, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, advanced control or machine learning. So, uh, I don't know, it's interesting to see people's, um, like, I think definitely there's a, like an old school versus new school. Yeah, it's uh, a controversial to, topic. Yeah. Always opinions. Well, this is why, it, you know, this yeah. this well, XOR exists, you know, we, we have to yeah, discuss yeah, controversial, yeah, we topics. Like
0: controversial topics. Yeah, How no, would you uh, say,
1: okay, let's say um, there's a young young starstruck engineer and he, he is um, you know, he has a lot like the open field uh, of, he hasn't yet made the choices, like what would you say? Would you say, okay, you know, learn your basics learn control for a couple of years and then you know, once you've cut your teeth in control, like Go into something else. Like, I think from let's say, our the control systems lead would say actually software is really important because he he is really adamant that a lot of it, a lot of the problems are really a software design problem, and then on top of that there is you know this this science behind it, but in robotic. So what would you think? Let's say let's let's hear your opinion on just like what what would you maybe do differently or like an advice for a young roboticist starting out? What's the journey for him? What would you say? Mm,
2: it's a difficult question. I would say if you really want to work on robots, maybe starting with control or yeah, can could be a bit better just because when you do purely machine learning, you have, um, a lot of uh, a lot of um, different field uh, but it's not necessarily robotics because like when you do like protein folding or uh, natural language or image generation all all those things are a uh, machine learning but it's not related to robotics so i guess it depends on your interest i am more interesting to AI, machine learning, or you want really to work on a robot. I think if you want to really focus on robots, you can still do some reinforcement learning, do some machine learning, but you will probably need to know control quite well to be able to do anything.
1: Hmm. It's, I mean, yeah, like now when you mention it that way as well, when i don't know many other applications of control systems engineering other than like motor control so like if you if you do machine learning and then sometime decide that you know there are so many other opportunities that you want to go into um, audio synthesis or whatever you can with machine learning but with control you're really limiting your choices aren't you? you what do you think I guess uh, you'd have to answer the previous question of where do you think the people should start?
0: Well, I agree with what Matteo said. I mean, it's a question, software versus hardware. Like, if you purely want to focus on software, then I think that's where machine learning achieves its best. So you could probably... um, Focus on machine learning from the very beginning of your studies and don't worry about control But if your goal is actually like Making real real Real-life objects move in you know in our everyday life then yes then Machine learning is still important, but becomes like as important as other subjects like control and mechanical engineering Mm. i feel like a good software background is always important so probably i feel like you know starting with a bachelor in computer science it's probably a safe choice and then in your master you can decide when you have you know clearer ideas you can decide whether you want to know more about control or just go straight into machine learning. So probably if I were to go back, that's what I would do.
1: Can't go wrong with a computer, computer science degree, right? Like software, learn software, if anything, math, math and computer science. Yeah. And then, and then you'll decide. And then if you're going into more math, it will be control systems. And if you go more into computer science, it'll be machine learning. That's like, obviously the hyper generalized and, uh, yeah incorrect (laughs) but uh yeah
0: yeah it gives you like a few years to kind of postpone like the the question of what you want to specialize Mm -hmm. in you can just like you know uh create a solid background in, in software and then and then decide later i feel like that is you know a safe option um yeah don't remember whatever what else you it was asked just um,
1: yeah. um, well the question was um, I think the the general um, notion is that what, what's the optimum <laughs> for, for best results like what what do you really have to learn yeah you have such a limited time to um, get good at something in robotics so you have to choose wisely and the the question is always well. It depends on what you like, but a lot of people yeah. don't know. Like a lot of people don't even know what they don't know. So uh, they end end up by chance falling into a certain field, and then they get good at it. And then you know over time, they work in teams that um, complement their um, uh, skills. But it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't. Like maybe in hindsight, some people will not regret their choices, but be like, oh, if only like that decision changed my like entire career. Or like, root, yeah. um, you know, some people, um, let's say, well, my professor told me to do analog electronics. And, you know, that proved to be a wrong <laughs> choice. And, <laughs> uh, you know, sure it was maybe in idea. early 2000s, analog. Maybe, yeah. you know, we, we come full circle and analog electronics come back. Maybe but, we'll
0: come back and it will be But basically, revenge.
1: like small decisions in your, uh early years at university like really do decide what you work on like for the <laughs> large chunk of your life and like professional career so if you were to go back and say at least give people a notion of you know this is this and this is that like this is um like give them an overview and uh like show them the horizon of what's possible with this I think I I wanted that maybe when I was, um, but all the career advisors at any academic institution are just completely clueless. So I guess yeah, they also don't
0: know exactly what. Like I mean, if you're super
1: curious, you'll listen to this podcast and maybe have hopefully just a slightly better understanding of what's what
0: yeah i think that question is not just about like what subject you want to study during your university degree but also in which university in which institution mm. because you know that can expose you to so many different things i feel like um, if you are in a big university that offers for example a lot of internships during your studies you know that will expose you to um to other subjects that are maybe not what you're studying and then you know you're still on time to change your career path so uh, probably that's even more important than choosing between electronics and software engineering right Mm.
2: i think the the good thing about machine learning is that you can do it very easily um you can find already a lot of stuff uh, on just GitHub, on internet. You can already have some, like you have simulator to simulate things. You can get them for free. Just download TensorFlow or PyTorch and, and try to run some algorithm. And like, I think Nvidia has a, has a free simulator with some algorithm to just make a quadruple robot work. Uh, doing some reinforcement learning. So I I think machine learning is something you can easily try to get something with just a computer. Uh, If you have a good computer or even just a a laptop, should be alright, like you you let it run for two hours, you should be able to get something. So I think compared to robotics, machine learning you can already do Mm.
1: yeah the barrier to entry with control is probably even higher than machine learning so
2: yeah so you for control you can find simulator and try to play uh like if you download ROS, you can already play with some robots but i would say it's mainly it's more difficult to take on i feel like usually machine learning it's when you look at the code it's it's not much, it's few Python file. And yeah, you already have tons of stuff that are coded in in PyTorch, and you just need to define the size of your network. And that's it. And so I think it's quite easy to pick up and play a bit. Um, I think probably it's very hard to master it. Just know because you have probably hundreds of, of parameters to to tune, but to at least have start to have a sense of something how it's working, you can probably do it on yourself, on your own time.
1: Yeah, good points overall. I think you you, Romeo, you mentioned um, depending on the institution. I think that's yeah. that's actually like super crucial. Um, but you you went to IIT, which is I mean yes. IIT and, and Oxford University are like top, uh, one of the best in Europe yeah, for in robotics.
0: Yeah, definitely. Good
1: um, I mean, my, my professor used to go to IIT for a bit. Um, yeah, yeah, so definitely it's like very well known. Uh, can you give, like, let's say, do you have, let's say, uh, a simple model of universities across maybe Europe or US and say, well, this would be specialized in that? We'll talk about, I think we'll talk about Oxford Robotics Group like a bit in depth. Yep. But What would you say the overall uh, landscape of university? Do you have an idea? Can you say it like that? Well, I mean,
0: yes. I mean, I have it now after quite a few years of experience. I didn't have such a clear clear idea when, you know, I had to take my own decisions when I, you know, was at the end of my master and I had to decide what I wanted to do next. Um, But yeah, now, i i see it you know even more clearly that unfortunately sometimes even just the name of the place where you work like affects your chances like you know the the exposure of your work for example the same paper that you publish in a very unknown university will probably not be read by anyone and the same paper published in you know the biggest university in Europe will you know be suddenly you know it will appear on the on the you know on the LinkedIn profile of thousands of people and they will all read it and cite it later exactly the same paper right so unfortunately that does matter so yeah I mean I think anyone who wants to decide where to do his PhD should. Really, like, um, you know, first of all, decide which subjects you want to study, work on and then find the professors that work on that topic and possibly go and talk to the, you know, the the best of them, those who work in the best universities. Um, It's kind of sad, but Mm. I think it's true that it helps.
1: What was your experience like at Oxford Robotics, like group? Like what was your, like, what, what was the good and the bad? Like what, what could you say about your time at, at Oxford doing postdocs?
2: The good is probably having, having mainly at the end, like we had a lot of robots, like Animal B, Animal C, A1, had Guster, cost vision 60 and at the end they even bought uh, um, spot spot yeah. yeah so yeah a lot of, of uh, robot because got a lot of money also we had engineers to work on the robot so if a robot breaks you you have people to help to fix it uh, so that was really nice also like a lot of partnership with some other universities, so you you can bring the robot somewhere. Try uh, like we went to the fire college, uh, so it's where the firemen train to extinguish some fire, and we just had the robot doing some tests there, walking around just a fake uh, factory and something like this. So yeah, I think that's that's the kind of thing that is really good because Oxford is a good university, so you can get a lot of money, and then that allow you to properly do your research. In Toulouse, it was much more difficult. It was like one humanoid robot, uh, it was a Japanese one. So if something breaks, sometimes we had to wait like four months for someone from Japan to come to fix the robot. So we were very careful. Um, a friend of mine was quite pissed uh, during his PhD because he couldn't do his his research because it was a bit too risky, he could break a motor or something like this. And when you break the robot, that means you have like three other PhD students that can't do their tests for their own research. So uh, having a lot of robots in Oxford was really nice. Yeah less afraid to break it. I shouldn't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I mean, you always have to, you know, take all the precautions, make sure you're not going to break any robot, but, you know.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I guess the, happen definitely having up. also, I mean, a lot of funding to get the hardware in the first place, but also the, the team infrastructure that lets you really get on with your work that, that like there are people dedicated to you know fixing issues, at yeah, those places, there, right? I think
0: there needs to be a culture of trying to push for things that are new and uh, for a culture to accept some risks, right? Mm. So so yeah, uh, like you said, you need to you know have people around you that encourage you to try and other people who will fix help you fix the robot if it breaks, so. Um, um robotics it's not something you can do on your own it's, it's just like a, such a complicated
1: would you say bigger teams um like bigger labs tend to be lead to better um uh, commun- like if it's a community of roboticists in a lab you you achieve more right
0: if it's a group that you know works as a team yes yes i think you know that's obviously not always the case you can always have like a lot of people that don't work as a team and um, you know, but in general yes I agree with that, that you know having a lot of people helps
2: It helps also to get traction because if you are in a group that publish if you are just a group of four researchers or something like this and you publish one paper a year you're never going to get if you have 25 person and you publish, I don't know, 30 paper a year, then people will. Oh, I remember the name of uh, this university. They are doing a lot of stuff, so help you to get more traction and more citation probably on your paper. Hmm.
0: And it's also the you know the brainstorm that it generates, right? Like having many people, it means like. You know talking a lot and like challenging the, the other people's ideas so um, it's just more stimulating right I think yeah I think that was actually probably my main kind of mm, principle like when I was choosing where to go like I always wanted to be in a place that's stimulating right so if you if you go in a small group made of two or three people, yeah, the, the, the amount of ideas it's gonna be limited, I feel like.
1: Hmm. So you would say like, look for a good team, like look for a community of engineers within a university. So then no, that's fair enough. I think I would definitely yeah. agree with that. Like uh, <clears throat> one man armies don't really work and that um, it's impossible, right? Yeah,
0: it's, it's a kind of lost fight. Like it, it, sometimes you have geniuses who, <laughs> who are, you know, incredible researchers, but like they, they, they work alone or in a very small team and yeah, they, they will not get all the exposure that they deserve.
1: What would you say was the bad then? Let's talk about, let's talk about the negatives. This is your time to really talk, you know, you're, say, your, say your piece.
2: <laughs> take it all out. I, I think the I'll worst bleep everything thing out. In, in Oxford is because it's a good university and they hire the best one and they take the best student. When you get in, they expect you to work like crazy because they say, okay, we hire you because you're good, but you kind of need to work then for to kind of deserve your position so you have a lot of pressure to publish to work a lot i it's it's not i'm not just talking about our team I'm, i think it's something quite general in the whole university because they want to be the best and they there is a lot of competition then you have a lot of pressure to to keep publishing and trying to so yeah you can spend night in the lab weekends in the lab
1: people won't be right? like i mean is that really a negative that's really understandable i mean if you are at a top institution they they're going to squeeze the energy out of you but is that would you say that's a, that a really strong negative like that
2: it can be depending on the behavior of the researcher but some researcher can be really tough and mm. limit not not normal like can be a bit crazy. Oh, uh, yeah, so
1: yeah. Um, maybe, maybe to rephrase that, it's like you're um, by being pushed so hard, the eventual outcome is actually less um, of what you could have achieved because you're just exhausted. Is that will that be true? No. No. Probably
2: no. But but how is that a <laughs> negative
1: then? Like you're just because, tired all the time. Uh,
2: it's, a, it's still a job. You don't have to spend your whole life uh, in, at
0: your job. You, you can have other activity. Outside. All
1: right, Mathieu is just lazy. What about <laughs> you? <laughs> no, well, I agree with Mathieu.
0: I mean, I, I think that working hard is, is fair enough. I think when you're, you know, starting your career, that's what you have to do. So you will end up working on weekends. I mean, that's acceptable. I think you don't want to do it for all your career but at the beginning i think it's fine as long as you know it doesn't affect your mental health so that's obviously the, the boundary right maybe a, a byproduct of that i would say that i found in oxford is that people don't tend to work as a team as much as i, I would have liked because like matthew said like they um, Literally the best from all over the world are so ambitious and they don't want to run into the risk of having them, their ideas stolen for example from someone else right so instead of having a nice you know collaboration culture where one person helps someone else on one paper and then the other person you know helps back often the work is very individualistic I would say mm.
1: So yeah it's something um, yeah. That, that was previous mentioned in the previous podcast as well um that you know some of the worst times that you can have in a lab is when um yeah it's uh, me for myself like what's the what's the right uh, english word for it everyone for themselves basically and yeah. like your success limits other people's success and they see it the same so it's it's a very toxic culture and then yeah. no one wins basically
0: exactly and yeah it's not just you know specific of oxford it it happens in probably like all the best institutions that attack the most ambitious people i think it i feel like it's something that goes together with you know people's ambition uh, yeah. of you know uh, achieving results and making sure that everyone sees that it's an individual result it's not the result of a teamwork so um.
1: do you think that's how robotics is I mean is meant to progress with more open source stuff like more collaboration is really the like that's like the only way for it to become a mainstream thing or you think like do you think robotics has like a problem that is really stopping it from being um the top industry I mean it is for manufacturing and heavy industries uh, but let's say mobile robotics is not yet that thing that it was promised maybe in the 70s with the humanoids and stuff uh, do you think there's like some some really key problem that we're not we're not tackling
0: well i mean the first thing that i can think of is not necessarily about software about open or closed source but it's it's about the the hardware obviously, because the robotics, as i intended uh, it always includes some sort of hardware of moving parts and the problem i see is the the lack of um how to say it, lack lack of like uh com com conventions about like the um, Let's say the the integration between the hardware and the software. Like, the, I think in order to to achieve another breakthrough in robotics, we should all agree on like more interfaces between hardware and software. And instead of always over and over again coming coming up with custom solutions, I feel like. That could be maybe a big thing we are missing. Um, Fair yeah.
1: enough. Do you have an opinion on that?
2: Um, I think it's probably reliability. Um, like a robot can, a moving robot can wear quite easily compared to something like just a washing machine that is not moving. Like your car, even your car, you need to go quite often to somewhere to fix some part. Um, so I think there is maybe an issue there where a robot is quite expensive and you will have to fix it quite often. So for normal people, it's it's maybe a bit too much. Um, but you you still see robots many places now, like, it's maybe not the kind of robot, like humanoid robot. Uh, but like you have vacuum cleaner and things like this that start to populate the underground or your home, thing like this. And those machines are already quite, quite nice. Like they can map your whole, whole uh, flat and do the cleaning. And even now, like, you have uh, the vacuum cleaner and the, the wet uh, cleaner at the same time.
1: I think I agree. That's like an underrated uh, underrated um, point that, um, as we said before, to, to do a lot of research and to try things, you need to try things. A lot of time, when you try things, you'll break the actual robot. And it's so expensive that it's not going to be... Allowed, and the, you know the 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 barrier of mistakes, the the cost of mistakes is so high that people don't do it, and that's probably like even I mean, even the most expensive what two hundred thousand to five hundred thousand pound humanoid robots, they're f- so fragile that, you know, you treat them like, like you, you you barely do any research on them, right? So,
2: yeah, one issue yeah. with humanoid robot is like you have. 100 kilos, that is 1 meter 80, if it falls flat You will break everything. So it's very dangerous to move this kind of machine just because They are not bolted to the ground so they can easily just if you lose the balance, then you fall flat on the ground and you will probably break an arm or something so yeah, you need to to have a proper control before you can imagine having
0: that somewhere.
1: Hmm. All right. No, I think, okay, let's, let's put this into a coherent thought. Right. Because you said like some of the most important things in choosing an academia to work for, um, is the team, like it's super important that, uh, robotics, such a, it's a vast, requires such vast areas of expertise and, you know, um, requires a cohesive team, but not just in academia, I think definitely in an in industry that's also important, like robotic robots are built by teams more than any other product in any other industry. Right. Yeah. So, like, what are the, what do you think teams get right and wrong in robotics? Like, what's the we talked about this for sure in the previous podcast. Um, but what, what what in your opinion is like this happens a lot, and this needs to stop. Like, this is, this is a common pitfall in the robotics teams. I think I would I would get um, let's say I would start in the common misconception. I think in hiring is hiring like spe, like specialists can work but people tend to be like oh robotics will need one mechanical one electrical one software they they tend to be so structured and that definitely leads to um either a lot of handoff between like specialists yeah because that's like they have very narrow um focus that focus yeah. so then neither one of them is a robotics engineer so like hiring robotics engineers who are like let's say mixed martial artists like right there there are you definitely need in some teams complementing your teams with very senior robotics engineers that can yeah. pull these or whatever systems or whatever like the pool everyone together but if you tend to i've seen that a lot when maybe someone less um they tend to simplify it too much, where it's like, "Well, we'll get one software guy, one electrical guy, one mm-hmm. mechanical."
0: Yeah, but then those three guys they don't necessarily speak the same language, right? So they don't. They, they design understand. three
1: products basically. They design yeah. a product each, and then some poor guy, some poor manager has to like pull it together and into into a robot. Exactly. And I don't. I think that's that's a very common issue. That maybe with time will get better because there'll be more people who are started off as roboticists and they have complete experience off the bat whether you know maybe like in early early 90s there was no such thing it was like i do electrical engineering and that's it maybe i don't know what about what do you think like that's my i think two cents what do you think teams get wrong in robotics like in management in um day-to-day activity
0: yeah no that's definitely a good point um yeah, the, maybe the other point I I can think of is about planning the activities and even when you know you hire like specialists who definitely definitely know what they do in their own niche field I think it's still important that you have someone like um overseeing the whole projects and like um agreeing on like the next steps together so that um, the, the people don't let's say diverge and keep and let's say focus on what they think it's the most urgent thing to work on that's something that doesn't really exist in the university as far as I've seen and in the industry I think you know people try to do it but it's really hard it's really hard to keep the specialists from diverging on their own path Um, so so yeah Mm, I see a big challenge in the in the management like you you need managers who need to understand the business and understand a bit of electronics uh, mechanics computer science be able to talk to all of them and be able to
1: I'm basically asking for a genius, like, right? Yeah, like, yeah, it's way yeah, too I much know, to ask for. Right? It's a like, lot,
0: it's a lot. I don't know exactly how you can get that. Like, it's almost like you know, you would need maybe such a long um, training path, like, right? It's almost like surgeons, right? Like, Sur- this guy
1: is not under 30. Like exactly. it's yeah, Like exactly. this guy is like yeah. Yeah, yeah, mid yeah. mid forties, probably, with all the experience that he needs to be. Exactly. And he needs to be so a, yeah. a very special like individual on a personal level, right?
0: Yeah, we need more of those people. Unfortunately, <laughs> I know it's hard to find them, but like it's like surgeons, right? Like when do you become a full like independent surgeon that can operate on on your own? Like you're not younger than forty when you can do that on your own. <laughs> and I feel like we need. Something similar, like a similar path for like full, uh, robotics engineers.
1: Maybe if there was a, like in, in time, there'd be a robotics manager degree or it's just maybe, like, maybe,
0: yes, it, it, hmm. it, yeah.
1: it exists. Yeah. Uh, I think in UCL there's a management science degree, which mm. is becoming very popular and it's not, it's like, it's quite serious and it's intense. Uh, but uh, do, you, do you have something uh, to add on the man- on the team team pitfalls?
2: Yes, uh, I agree a bit with what what Romeo said, but I think it's not the only solution to have someone that knows everything. I think usually the issue is that there is not enough communication between people, and I don't think. Like one solution can be to have a manager that knows everything very well, that can like enforce this kind of communication. But I think it's, it's more like you, you don't need someone that knows everything. You can just trying to enforce more reliability, uh, the, the, the communication between people. Like when, when someone mechanic designs something, it shouldn't, shouldn't be like, oh, he design and then start to build and things like this. It should go through the whole team to know like, okay, there is this mechanical design, what kind of electronic we need for that? What kind of control we need to for that? And yeah, having people working together. Um, and more general, I think it's the same thing also in academia. Uh, you can have people working on their own project. But one thing that I loved when uh, in in Toulouse, in my lab uh, during my PhD, is that my supervisor kind of, at some point, designed a project like called local 3D. And he was like, okay, so we're going to have a pipeline about planning the footsteps and doing some motion. And you can see like, oh, this is my part. So it makes you feel more like a team as soon as you have like a big picture of where everybody is and trying to understand a bit more like, oh, my output should be this. And if, if I'm missing this part, then the next person in the pipeline w- won't be able to do his research just because I need to add also uh, I don't know like the the footstep position for the next one to be able to design the the center of mass uh trajectory so yeah it's I think you need just to make sure there is good communication. I think the issue is that often you have a lot of smart people, but they don't really like to they want to they have some idea and they want want to work on it. Maybe it's not ideal, it does a bit the job, but they really want to work on this. And they think, oh, this is a very smart way of doing it. And don't really listen to the and or to the other teammate. They are just, everybody's on in on his own desk and don't really think, oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna, once it's ready, it's gonna work. And then you put that and then Oh, no. It's
0: not then you realize what something you is yeah.
1: missing. Yeah. Do you have a good example of that? Can, can we, uh, I don't know if you know on YouTube they do, they do tier list videos where you have like, let's say, S tier, A, B, C to D of anything. And it's common right. to do like C tier TV shows mm-hmm. and they'll rank like S tier which is like you know the best and the worst and they get a lot of traction there's a very fun video to make Mm -hmm. but if you were to make like this maybe wow I think it would be a good like YouTube thing to do like a rank robot robots like from S tier to lowest tier like maybe like the worst robots yet to experience with but what if like in teams like can you can you come up are there any like famous teams uh, apart from challenges maybe university teams company teams that are have just like cracked it. Obviously, I think Boston Dynamics is just legendary in that regard. Yeah. Do, do you have another one where it's like
0: you mean IIT? A good example. Yeah, positive yeah. Well, examples. Well, I like, think
1: IIT definitely. IIT was at the DARPA challenge as well, right? Yeah, so they, they were
0: there uh, too, and I think they like put together a robot in one year and like they, you know, did decently. So yeah, I, I think they they were like positive example. I would say. Um, Maybe because they were fresh, they were. It was a very young team, so they didn't have any legacy, any legacy that would slow them down. So maybe that that kind of helped them. So yeah, I think that's that's a good example of. Like at the end of the day, a lot of the time it. when yeah.
1: when when this gets mentioned, let's say at Imperial, like teams at Imperial, um, it it's more often than not. Like leadership coming from the professor. Like the professor has to mm-hmm. be like one. The it starts from one man or person. Yeah. yeah. That uh, He's really. He's the
0: one that sets the culture. The, the yeah. communication. Yes, and without
1: yeah. that one person, it just doesn't start. Doesn't kick off. And maybe throughout time, there are like these like special, special individuals who have created an atmosphere of just.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. The the professor or the the manager sets the culture of the whole team, right? And then he also, you know, is the one who hires people. So he's the one who, you know, has to also pay attention to the, um, like, um, how do you say it? Like the emotional intelligence of the people he hires, like uh, some people you know also consider that aspect make sure that the people they hire they are yes they are skilled in robotics but they are also like emotionally intelligent and they can listen and work in a team other people instead they don't care and they just focus on the hard skills let's say
1: Hmm.
2: i don't have any example of good company just because i don't know enough uh, in companies but i think like working, following the agile thing is, is agile force you to have communication like every day or like to design new tasks together. And that helps bringing everybody on the same table and discussing and exchanging more ideas and yeah, I, I think agile is, is something you really need to do when you are doing robotics. In research, research, I, I, yeah, I think like the, the professor has a big role because people doing a PhD, they are just new, newcomers, like they didn't had any job yet. So they don't really know about management stuff. But if just the professor start to enforce some, some, uh, um, um collaboration between people that become the culture in the lab. While if, if the researcher just doesn't care, do his thing on his own, and each student are just trying to work on something but don't really talk to each other, then it's a very different uh, ambience in, in the team.
1: That's a good point about agile. Um, I don't. I mean, so many gurus out there, right? Like, uh, I don't even know what agile is at this point because everyone has an opinion on what it is. Um, but it's a good point. Yeah, it's. Um, we need a lot of special people that are really good managers and also roboticists. But then also, like, new perspectives, new ways of thinking about working together and communicating. That that. Not unique to robotics. But I think robotics definitely suffers because it needs it so much, right? Like robotics needs that way more than others. Like. Uh, mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, it needs communication because one person cannot know everything. So yeah, agile is a way to enforce that communication. It's almost a skill that, you know, people should maybe that they should teach at the university that we should all be be aware of like i i didn't learn about agile until when i moved to the industry so i never heard about that in my academic career but i think it would have been useful to you you know if i had implemented it before Yeah. Mm.
2: you are listening to the xor
0: human conversations at the frontier of technology
1: this is the XOR. The XOR.
0: The XOR. The XOR.
1: The XOR. XOR. Have you yeah. seen um um unitree robots, right? Like uh, we're talking about payload. I mean, unitree seems mm-hmm. to just achieve these every well, every quarter yeah. of a year. They just achieve yeah, 10, they, plus uh, ten, plus ten, I mean, plus ten plus ten kilos. They achieved
0: amazing results in such a short lifetime.
1: Oh, what what do you think? Um, Okay. Let's say there are the, the Swiss animal, right? Yep. There are the American spot. Um, then there is, what are, what else? Is yeah. There? And there is the Chinese. Ghost Unitary. robotics,
0: also American. I
1: wanted to mention ghost robotics separately, but okay. Yeah. Let's say there is, um, Unitary, yeah, Unitary Alien, Alien Go and B1. That's the tough one. Well, what
2: was I mean? the latest? I don't know what the B1,
1: la- B1 is the latest. And, I mean, what it was crazy payloads. How do you think they achieved that? Apart from, okay, let's say we, we do understand that, you know, great management is required for great robotics teams to make great robots, but how do you think they do it? Like, what do you think is the secret sauce?
0: Well, I, I don't know exactly where the funding comes from, but I think it's quite a big budget they have. So I, I assume that must have helped that I... Otherwise, I wouldn't explain myself how they they developed such good robots that quickly. Like they must have had massive teams of people mm. working 24-7.
2: I think we also tend to underestimate the Chinese. Uh, I think they are very smart people there. And the fact that now everything is built in China, for sure, people there have deep knowledge about doing things. Like, because they are now, like, they build so many stuff, they have people knowing exactly how to build stuff, how to design the thing. So I think we shouldn't underestimate the, the Chinese just because they have those two things, the smart people and they are doing things rather than in Europe, you have smart people, but we are not doing that many stuff anymore. So maybe we lose some knowledge. So like, I remember seeing something in nuclear where people were saying, Oh, in France, it's taking years to build a new nuclear power station, just because we lost the, the knowledge about building this kind of huge building, just because we built them in the eighties and now that everybody that was working on those projects, they just retired and we just need to learn again, how to do that. So I think, yeah, China have, have people actively working on building things like this. So good, uh, good knowledge that they get there.
1: Yeah, I agree for sure. They, I mean, okay, the funding. I'm not sure actually how many, I, I always thought Unitree is a small, comp- relatively small company. I'm not sure how many people work there. I'm not sure how much funding they have. They just, from the consumer perspective, it's like super impressive what they've been there. Yeah. China is, I don't think is was ever like a robotic superpower as much as maybe Japan and Korea in my mind and America. Uh, but now I think it, it's, it's crazy what they're achieving in such a yeah. short period of time. Mm, yeah but i think the access to hardware that's um when when you join let's say um, entrepreneur first there is such or any entrepreneurial endeavor the first thing that people tell you is like please for the love of god don't do hardware
0: Yeah, especially
1: in the last year with shortage they're just it's next to impossible and robotics is so reliant on yeah. hardware. So it's just become an impasse where only, um, hotspots across the world that have access to chips, have access to motors, magnets. Those are the ones the like winning yeah. automatically. And if it, if you live on an Island somewhere <laughs> like mm. across the ocean, they're like, getting that stuff to, You just never, you're never winning. And for the price is just, um, only people I guess it makes sense that China with its access to hardware is like accelerated uh, you know uh, growth
0: yeah yeah that's true that's definitely a key factor like they they literally own the raw material mines in Africa and you know that gives them probably cheaper cheaper hardware in the end
1: in what way could you possibly compete with that audience like how could you would it be ai basically it's like oh, if we can't have the hardware we just like be better software developers or wait, well, yeah, i mean you can't undo hardware right like you can't maybe you could be maybe more control and machine learning heavy and like have cheap sensors but like a lot of compute that makes you baseline what they're achieving but it just what do you think? How do you think you could compete with someone who has just, like, so much access to resources and funding? Like, how could you?
2: I don't think we are trying to compete on that. We are just, like, Western countries now trying to switch to even more servicing thing. We we are not a factory anymore. We are doing services. So we're going to keep building stuff in China, and we're going to put our software on their robot hmm. that's probably what we are aiming to uh, just maybe if even building robots now it's it's not the highest uh, level you, you you do so country try to go above and just do do the software which is uh, maybe something even more where you can get even more money. Just because you do maybe the software once, and then you can deploy it to thousands of robots, uh, the software is still a value, but you can scale it very easily. Mm.
0: Well, I don't think it's really like sustainable, like the idea of like just you know taking the hardware from you know other countries and like providing services. I mean, you're still gonna. Depend on the hardware, right? In the end, like the, the the countries who own the hardware, they they actually have the power, I would say. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think it's a good model if that's what the Western yeah. countries are doing. I think you know we're putting ourselves in a weak position. I mean, businesses do that too, position. right? Like, it's businesses
1: yeah. also have that. Like, I don't know what the quote was about the iPhone, but it's basically that. Where it's like, if you own the hardware. Like, if you build your own hardware, you control the market.
0: Then you you win.
1: Mm. I would say, you know, it wouldn't be far off to say that European robotics is much weaker, I would say, in what it has and what it can do in the future compared to uh, US and China, I'd say.
0: Yes, yes, I agree. To have to be strong, you have to own the production, I believe.
2: Yeah, I was uh, actually a bit shocked that uh I I don't think I heard anything about like chip factoring in 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 Europe. I think like there is a huge big uh chip shortage and I feel like Europe is maybe not trying to to use that to build more factory in Europe and that's probably something that could have be missing in 10 years because yeah, we, everything is just TCMC and, uh, and Samsung, most of the chips are, are there. And if there is some issue with China invading Taiwan, that's like half of the production of all the chip that is gone for a few months or something like this. So very dangerous game to not have anything, uh, in Europe. I think US is much better. They have uh, Intel and a few things, but still like, I think Intel is trying to now produce with TCMC uh, or Samsung. Mm. So yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult because it's really high tech. Uh, It's not something easy to reproduce. Like when you build a factory like this, it's billions of yeah the investment is
0: massive crazy
2: um but yeah maybe uh maybe on the long term that's something uh maybe you should create that
1: (laughs) looking into it looking into it i actually when i first joined arrival i was asking a lot of questions i was like i was asking the electronics engineers i was like wait so so who makes this And they were like, well, it's Taiwan. And I was like, wait, are you saying there is no, like, European manufacturers? They were like, yeah, there are, like, two. And I was like, no way. So, for me, it was, like, a big shocker when I learned about, like, how these things are sourced and wafers or whatever. Yeah, it's a big... And it seems to be an impossibility. Like, even if you were to create um, some sort of production, let's say, like, something very... From... Technology of the early nineties, let's say there's some like fourteen nanometer chips, no one would want them because it's so like people are so used to the high end. Yeah. Like if you're not producing, you know, Intel Xeon level chips, so like four nanometers that, you know, the, the technology behind yeah. that is crazy. I mean they use Yeah,
0: the the competition. They is capture so high.
1: you know, individual photons like have to hit a certain part of the wafer for like the the control conditions of that reaction is just so incredible that you know it can only be done in one place in the world and if you were to try to compete you'd have to start from the beginning right you'd have to start from the you know technologies of the 90s and no one would yep. want them no one would really say this is oh wow i'm so happy to have a well i think it was Net-tip i <laughs> what was it called there was like a really famous like a uh, chip that's like i8080 or something like the i don't know, I don't know. I it's don't like know. a <laughs> Like an ancient chip. Yeah, nobody
0: would accept it now. Yeah.
1: But
2: But, um, I don't necessarily agree. I think, like, yeah, for computer, like the new processor, you need that crazy thing. But still, like, what you have in a car probably is just some very old that you can build. uh, Not
1: a new car. Like in a new car, you have, like, multiple GPUs and multiple processing. Like, it... Like, it uh, would probably be a bad example, to be honest, because cars are really a high-tech product now. Like, a lot of compute. Hmm. Yeah, yeah if you I consider
0: it, all the autonomy, yeah.
1: It would be hard uh, to see. It would be interesting to see what this, like, really pans out in the future. With yeah. um,
0: I mean, still, like, there are all these advanced applications like cars, yes, but I'm sure there are a lot of, like, IoT devices that, don't really need that advanced level of, you know, technology. And that could still probably use the technology we had in the nineties. They would be bigger probably, but that's the whole limitation.
1: I think the thing that you mentioned about not having the knowledge, like I always think about that. And I think there's a term that I've forgotten now about like generational um um disappearing of skills uh that's that's so interesting to me in general yeah but yeah it, it would really be a sad uh moment for us to forget uh i mean we do forget i mean we do we're already so software software service based as a like nation and a region that a lot of the the basic uh sciences are not um not accessible, like it will take way longer. Like I think the example with France and nuclear reactors, Okay. Um, I don't know many other examples of like the entire region like lacking in skill so hard uh, that, you know, it's it's now like financially that
0: becomes a burden that becomes. Yeah, yeah, no, I also can't think of any other example
1: let's let's mention something about um, ghost robotics uh having mentioned uh, a lot of you know europe swiss based uh, american-based companies building dog robots uh what do you think about the whole ghost robotics drama i feel like the the robotics community mm. being so young we only have very few events happening in general but if you were that's true like i don't know if you i mean if you're in, into politics or even gaming now there's so much stuff going on but in robotics like there is actually we have drama in robotics too yeah all sometimes
0: right? we do yeah um yeah. And, didn't hear about
1: that. well the ghost robotics just a big you know about ghost yeah well i think let's let's flesh it out basically it's a spin-off of penn state university yeah
0: upenn i think
1: uh upenn um th- there is in general a rise of uh, a new generation of startups willing to do business with defense, uh, American defense, because I feel like for a long period of time there was a shortage, and now there is such low supply of, you know, you know everyone wants to work at Fang, which you know Facebook and Amazon and everyone, uh, that now the the skill set of the previous generation of engineers working for defense, like cannot keep up with the, they need fresh, fresh uh, people to join. And the demand has grown a lot, and now the money has grown. So like a lot of startups, uh, for example, Andrew is a big example in the US um, that the guy who came up with the, I think Palmer Luckey came up with the Oculus uh, Mm -hmm. (coughs) VR headset, sold it to Facebook, worked for Facebook VR and then um, started this defense military company. And that was a big thing that they were like, Oh, like these young engineers are creating companies to work in defense. It's, yeah. it's like um, a taboo topic. A lot of people are disinterested in working with the military if they're like high tech, uh, but not Ghost Robotics. So Ghost Robotics was that, that they saw a niche in the market that Boston Dynamics having been funded by DARPA, which is a huge organization in the US, giving them a lot of funding, Boston Dynamics, having had a good time with them, being acquired by Google and SoftBank, went to more commercial side of things. Uh, And now there is a gap, and Ghost Robotics uh, filled that gap, making military dog robots. That was not received well by the rest of the academic community, right? Uh, And I feel like I'm not mistaken it was the founders were like shunned by the academic community saying that uh, there was like a letter that went out online about people who have worked with them previously saying um, we do not we condemn your actions yeah. and we don't want to be um, associated with you in the future stuff like that and for what like i feel like maybe i'm more on the progressive side and i'm thinking you know be a bit hypocritical to say that you know even companies like airbus and a lot of space agencies a lot of i mean even the the famous um, humanoid challenge and the um, or the urban challenge in what mid 2000s that was funded by darpa again that gave birth to autonomous vehicles as we know today like autonomous cars like that yeah. you can really track it down to that huge competition that you know that's where the industry grew from the seed of that competition same happened with uh, the humanoid challenge that for the first time ever what like 20 30 teams across the world have now like this incredible access to be part of this huge competition with humanoids trying to open doors and climb ladders and stuff like that um to then to then say that you can't do business with defense and if you do you'll be uh looked down upon and like it will have consequences with your career. Uh, what do you think about the whole thing? And this has yeah. happened, what, in the past five years, maybe?
0: Um. Yeah, it's still a very hot topic now. It's been like a hot topic since when Boston Dynamics, I think, started, you know, like since the very beginning of, start of Boston Dynamics, because like you said, they were funded by the, the, the DARPA. So, yeah, I agree with you that there is some hypocrisy in the sense that um, people condemn this, what Ghost Robotics has done, but then they still take funding from the military.
1: Um, I mean, even to interrupt you for a second, like, internet is a US military invention from ARPANET, like... You, cannot, you can only go so far in saying that you don't want to deal with the military because this is, you yeah. owe them actually quite a lot of innovation.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's also like a specific feature of the US, the fact that like the all the money goes through the defense. So the defense literally like is the equivalent of like the EU Commission in Europe, right like the money that um, universities in euros in, in Europe they they get from the European Commission that money in the us is instead going through the DARPA right like the the American universities they will get the, most of the research fundings f- from the defense department so um, I think. Taking money from the defense budget is okay, in my opinion. Another thing is putting literally a rifle on a robot. And, you know, because that's something that it's, you know, suddenly a very real threat. It can actually, like, you know trigger real fear into people so i would distinguish right like between like accepting funding from military organizations if they're still you know applicable to broader applications and instead literally working on weapons i would maybe so you could say like there,
1: you can definitely draw a line like yeah, there's a clear distinction yeah i
0: would between. try to draw a line yes i wouldn't be so strict and completely rejecting any military funding but i'll try to be more specific about it yeah
2: yeah i always have a mixed thing about uh military uh, i know that in robotics and many like when you do research, people are very afraid of, uh, a lot of people will refuse just completely to work with any military. I'm more uh, more flexible because I, I see benefit of having robots in the military. Like a quadruped robot, I think it's probably one of the best tools to diffuse a mine somewhere. So, if I'm working on a robot that can defuse mine and save life, I have no issue working for the military. Putting a rifle on a robot, it's a a bit of a stretch. I think it's not really efficient. The robot will probably fall if it starts to shoot, just because the recoil is too much. And it's like, you, you can kill the robot with one shot. It's... Not a strong robot; like a, a bullet can go through the robot and just break everything.
1: I, I remember that now that you mention it, it wasn't just the, for me it was the the paper that got published, like a, a joined uh, email that went around about the professor, but, what was even more mainstream that I forgot to mention is yeah there was a picture of the ghost robotics robot, and there was a like it was a tur- turret mounted on it. Yeah. And that was like very mainstream. I think a lot of people saw it. And yeah, that, that, that really like struck big... fear in a lot of people. And it was like, it was like a tank with legs, basically. Um, that maybe, I mean, people were saying it's like, it's too much. Like that, that, that's exactly where you draw the line.
2: Yeah, I don't know why people would do that. I mean, I, I, I see like people that, also did similar thing with the spot robot. Like it was not allowed by Boston dynamic. Like when you purchase one, you have to sign something that you won't put any weapon on it. And of course, some people did or
1: put some paintball on it. Uh, really, I didn't know that the, you had to sign. Like, is that yeah, something that you know? Yeah, I don't know.
0: yeah, it's one of the requirements they enforce. Oh, it's like a, a
1: the Ferrari one where. What was the story about Ferrari that you can? You You you, can't change the color. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) you are like forever required to like abide by some rules, so it looks. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah. It was Justin Bieber who repainted this. Something like that. Yeah, the story. And then he was banned from buying any other (laughs) Ferraris.
1: Yeah, but uh, so basically, I didn't know that that was the case with Boston Dynamics robots. That you had to like.
2: But yeah, I don't think, I I don't know why they did that on the robot. It was sure that it's going to be a huge uh, issue. But I mean, you can also put a gun on a car. Did you think there was (laughs) a lot of,
1: like, it was a marketing ploy in a bit? Like, it was like a shock factor or factor that they were like, hey, look at this. Put a huge turret on a robot.
2: The thing is that I, I really think it's not an efficient way to do something. Like,
1: just <laughs> See, maybe Mathieu, Mathieu has better you ideas. you
0: got better <laughs> weapons.
2: It's just you You can take a wheel robot and put a gun on it and you you are much more stable and you can have, like, you can already see, like, machine guns, like, heavy machine guns on four wheels. and.
1: Yeah, but the robot has some, uh, what's the term? uh not animatronic features but um it looks alive as we said before so yeah. right like now now it's a different okay same a humanoid robot is again piece of metal with motors right but people see it as a human so now if you put a, a guns in the hands of a humanoid robot that would completely break the internet i feel like at that point it has been done That's i true. think there's some videos of those a famous Russian video, I don't know if you've yeah. seen it. Yeah, the what is
0: it? The, the boss town dynamics is not that. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, I think it was Robot another. Igor,
1: I think that's what it's called. And it
0: Robot. just oh, yeah, 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 I've seen it. Yeah, 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 that is that was cool. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, yeah, you <laughs> like it. I have to that? say it
1: was cool, but scary, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the garage door slides open and you just see a humanoid robot like dual wielding some desert eagles or whatever (laughs) it's like fire and it just like does some rounds yeah it's a bit but also I mean I agree also I mean you could go into I said we'll talk about um, Black Mirror right like I mean yep it's not even it's not hard to see that this is probably not the most efficient way like if you really put your like creative thoughts together. You would say, well, you know, you put it on the drone, probably be even more like harder to catch, more maneuverable. What do you think of that? Like just in general, because robotics is, comes in different shapes, right? You can even do like, okay, we, we you worked with quarter pets. So I brought up the ghost robotics example, yeah. but I mean, you can go
0: you're asking us like what's the most efficient uh, no no like, probably not <laughs> <laughs> <It was> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah we could make that also an s tier like a tier list of just most efficient yeah. robot applications of like uh, end of humanity but um, yeah uh, maybe it wasn't a question directly it was just bringing another example that the it appeared on the one of the episodes of Black Mirror, right? It yeah. was like these drones yeah, that attacked like killer drones, really, uh, like the they mistake. like fly into you and they, I don't know, like make your brain pop. Do you, yeah, how much think- of that do you consume in general? Like how much uh, do you watch Black Mirror yourself? Mm-hmm. I, watched I didn't like an
2: but uh, not one of them, just because I, it's too depressing.
1: Do you think there's a lot of fear mongering and like the overall? mainstream representation of robots like terminator black mirror um i robot um yeah all of those movies are to do with you know total apocalypse total i mean very few very few i think Chappie, like there's so few robot movies that are like maybe uh wally and Big hero. I oh yeah, I can't remember what's called. Um, Yeah, those are like cute. Those are the
0: only few positive examples, let's say, of robots in the in the cinema industry. Yeah. Well, I think it's you know like the 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 directors, the producers, they you know they portray what you know the real fears are of.
1: Really? But Do you think gone. so? Well, because fear mongering yeah. really gets you the you know tickets, right? Like,
0: yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I I expect they have to come up with something crazy, like something scary, but still not that unfeasible to to trigger that like inner fear in you. So I think I think it's good to you know to think about those edge cases and you know i don't think it's a immediate problem that we are going to have to face now as robotics engineers but maybe in in 50 years or maybe 100 years really we will start seeing things that
1: that's quite reserved conservative right i'll I'll say actually even sooner you'd
0: say yeah maybe
1: But I would, I would, I do hold an opinion that like most people immediately have negative associations with, especially humanoid robots. Like they, they always, uh, with the Tesla bot coming out, uh, being in the news. I mean, that's what everyone talks about. It's just like world domination immediately. And, um, so it gets a bit, um, as a robotics engineer, I have my own, like, by my eyes roll further than
0: others (laughs) (laughs) but
1: you know why does it have to be that way i think it's a bit it's a bit annoying also because there's so much potential and there's some like if i have so much like love towards this area and then it always gets uh you know shit on by the mainstream media and you're like come on like can we not have like um can i show you like the the good examples or
0: yeah it's like knives right like like they i i guess they were invented to kill animals like in the prehistoric period so yeah they were born as weapons but like they they can also be used in good ways and i see robots in the same way like it's up to you know the lawmakers to make sure we only use them in a good way but yeah, anything pretty much has like a good and a bad application.
2: I think probably people are afraid of humanoid robot because probably there is a link. Oh if if this machine is like a human, it's as smart as a human or smarter than a human? And probably like it's it's the fear of not being the top of the the pyramid of uh, the living thing on earth that maybe is trigger a bit and yeah feeling like you are not in control of everything anymore
1: hmm. I think okay I haven't that's a good take I think that's ex- that's probably exactly why that you know like a wheeled box with a rifle attached to it, will not, you'll be like, ah, I'm smarter Uh, than it. I'm I'm still the apex predator. But when you see like a humanoid, you're like, "Uh oh, like, okay, this is dangerous now immediately. But it has, it's like, um, it's like, you know, when a burger has, it has like the same components separated, it looks healthy, but like once you put it in a burger, it's immediately, ah, it's unhealthy. Same thing, like a humanoid and like a UGV, like a normal, uh, one of those like military trucks with it's the same it's like how much different is that it's the same motor same battery just different configuration like uh different topology of the same thing so how come this gets so much attention so much uh disdain from the the average citizen
2: yeah i really think like a, a robot with will it's it's a
1: will robot
2: it's not smart but when you see a humanoid robot the first thing you think
1: is oh this is smart yeah yeah i didn't i didn't think of that it's a good way to put it
0: yeah so basically it's because then you're like okay then what can i do more than he, can, than he can right like probably we always want to yeah like you said like feel on top of the whole you know
1: maybe there's some like subconscious algorithm that as soon as you see something you're like i could probably beat it like i could probably take it i'm I'm smarter than
0: that yeah
1: you know when you walk down the street and you're just like sizing people up it's like i could 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 probably beat this guy up (laughs) and then and then when you see um maybe with the robots there's some subconscious thing it's like ah yeah this is still this is still i still kick it or something yeah Yeah, maybe that's why it, it you know triggers like extra things. Like, no, this this one this one's definitely gonna kill me. <laughs> I didn't think of that. What if there is another uncanny valley? Like maybe we could be the pioneers of that, right? The 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 fear valley. And it's basically a function of how much you think you can like how easily you think you can take it on. And yeah. the humanoid robots probably fall within the like um like some dip where it's like, immediately yeah. your brain responds yeah, like, like, nope, no, like, no. I could, this, this, this
0: this doesn't scare me at all, yeah.
1: If like, a, it was humanoid robot, but like, had short legs or something, your your brain would be like, yeah, yeah, I could, yeah, I could. Like, yeah. a, yeah. <laughs> I can beat iCub.
0: Yeah, I-Cub, because yeah. iCub is just a child <laughs> robot, right? So it's not so scary.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, I love iCub, iCub and Pepper. You know these like cute humanoid robots. Um, yeah, you know. Have you seen? I don't know if it's like a famous YouTube videos where they're like, how many like five year olds do you think you could fight? Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this? Like, no, I haven't seen it. I want to watch it right yeah, now. i it. be like, well, thirty, and then people like really go and like start writing it down and be like, well, if I was surrounded, like depending if I was surrounded, um, and it'd be like big football players, like, oh well, you know, if I could really like like spread my arms and like really go for it (laughs) but like what has anyone
0: actually tried that like
1: (laughs) uh, well they do it uh the the videos i like to watch is when they put like a professional football player against like a team like of 30 uh, oh yeah yeah, Yeah, 10 year olds and they just like completely dominate um well i mean they probably yeah the children but not not fighting probably not fighting um but we we should do that with robots. Like, how many yeah. iCubs do you think you could take on? Uh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, personally, for me, it's probably like about the manipulation skills. Like, if I were to see like a humanoid robot who you know can walk around like the city like I do, and then I could see that it can also like grab and manipulate things as well as I do. Yeah, that would probably also scare me. Like, I would be really scared to think that.
1: Like, uh, Boston Dynamics parkour really got people excited. Like, for me, for sure. Like, I- I've seen bleeding edge research, and even yeah. for me, the the parkour stuff that I see, used to see now with Atlas not yeah. being like the main uh, yeah. selling point, I was like, I cannot do that. I cannot do a backflip. Exactly. And this guy yeah, can. And that um, was to that's me. That's what
0: impresses you, right?
1: Um, yeah,
0: by the way, where are the Boston Dynamics videos that we've always, you know. It doing? all went downhill yeah, with the like BTS,
1: the, you know, the Korean uh, yeah, um, singer I thing. I haven't like.
0: seen them in a while now. <clears throat> What's going on with that?
2: When was hmm. the parkour video? A that was ago?
0: already maybe two
1: years No, ago? come on. Like think it's like five years ago maybe the first one of just jumping
0: the one jumping i think no the the
1: one where like it jumps and then it does a 360 like on the spot and then does a backflip i think yeah i don't know when that was we can find out but a couple of years ago yeah
0: that's probably a couple of years ago
1: but that was fascinating that's just uh, so fascinating Like even i mean
2: it's so frustrating when you are working on on humanoid quadruped robots and you are working your eyes off on research, and you see that video on your. Yeah, like we can't do even like thirty percent of what they are doing. So.
1: Yeah, it wasn't uh, Andre saying that? Uh, I mean, what he spent like what, PhD in Japan, uh, maybe what early mid two thousands, um, working on humanoid robots, and it was you know, five years of your life spent making this thing walk. And he is like a very successful published author, yeah, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so well. What was the paper title? Um, um, walking without thinking about it.
0: Without thinking, thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. Andre Hurd.
1: Please uh, yeah, cite yeah, cite yeah, Andre yeah. Hurd. Best title ever. Doctor Hurd. Uh, yeah. um, and he was saying, you know, most of his research was just um, uh, thwarted by um, when when the robot stands on one leg during a swing phase, it like it's so heavy that the leg bends. Like the actual Mm -hmm. mechanical structure bends, so it is like non-linearity just from that. And then you know you see a backflipping Atlas, (laughs) you'd be just completely uh,
0: like mind blown. You know it's yeah. Yeah, that.
1: What has happened recently? I mean, Boston Dynamics has shifted towards. They realized they're bleeding money for the past thirty years, so they're making more down-to-earth industrial automation solutions uh, for less less exciting stuff maybe
0: yeah i mean they definitely focused a lot on the products for as, as long you know as far as it regards sport the quadruped but you know atlas is still supposed to be the research platform i think as far as i know they're still pushing on that so yeah i am um, excited to see the ne- next video like I feel like it's been long due I think they've been working on an electric Atlas as far as I heard that's what they
1: are doing. Oh yeah that will be absolutely insane right? Mm. Um, yeah
2: probably one one current issue with Atlas is because it's hydraulic so you won't be able to sell it easily just because you need much more maintenance than something electric so probably if they are making uh, an electric atlas is to try to sell
1: it somewhere from my understanding it being hydraulic um is it not pneumatic at this point is it not gas powered no
0: i think it's oil it's really high pressures but Uh, that's what
1: gave it like the high power to do backflips right maybe Would see a milder version of the electric one, but you don't know. Really excited for the Tesla bot as well. You know, what, what is that going to look like? Looks very slick, and but I mean, obviously, with the track record of uh Tesla projects, it's not,
0: yeah, we shouldn't be, you know be too excited. <laughs> I already seen something
2: saying, oh, the actual prototype won't look at all like <laughs> the picture. Oh, just no, because but... you look at the picture, and you're just like they. Took a human and they think they can make a robot exactly the same but no it probably will have bulky motors everywhere and
1: probably um, there's a quote about um high enough advanced enough technologies indistinguishable from magic um and i mean for sure like we've seen we were so blessed in our lifetime to see some of those things i was yeah. explaining to someone um that uh, did not have an engineering background. All the advances that DeepMind has made, like, and I had a good memory of like the timeline, and I was like back, back to back explaining the timeline of like DeepMind is only ten years old. Like it's what two thousand eleven maybe. They yeah. Then they got bought like two years into it by Apple, and since then I was like on With my Google fingers it. like saying yeah. okay they did this then they did um couple of games that they won then they did starcraft Then they did world um dota then they won this and then they started uh and now we're at the point where they're you know solving protein folding weather you know ancient languages you know they're, they're going into uh nuclear uh, fission i think they're yeah, like trying to solve fission, some yeah um, and i was like wow like even to me when I've described the entire thing, I was like, Oh my God, like actually crazy. I think, okay. Both of them are Google funded, both Boston Dynamics and DeepMind, but crazy. Like the advancement has been like logarithmic it's so, so um, they within 10 years, they did that. Right. Yeah. And w- what's the next thing gonna be like? What's the next thing gonna be like for Boston Night? Like, let's say they did funnel all that money back like into Atlas, like what could be possible? this yeah. such a scary thought.
2: But I think it depends a lot on the domain. The, the thing is DeepMind is doing machine learning and machine learning is at the stage where it's growing like the more slow, I think like things double every six months or a year, something like this. They are in this phase where it's still growing, but then after some time you have like a a step and it's kind of stabilized. It becomes very hard to get new things. So like probably hardware, you still have something, but it's become more and more.
1: How uh, do you think they've plateaued? Um, Like, do you think we're at the plateau, starting to plateau at the hardware level and like, Maybe we'll see, like, okay, ten years of research with DeepMind, we'll start seeing, like, okay, this pre, like, how many games of Go can you win, and maybe it won't be as impressive, or what? Yeah,
2: I think at some point we will probably reach a, a plateau, also in machine learning.
0: What what would be the limiting factor then? Like, does it boil down to the hardware, to the compute power, like? Are they growing so fast because the compute power can keep up with?
1: Well, what it also they could need. be. Um, I was also describing that, you know, the when they trained, I think it cost somewhere around twenty million to train. Just the, the electricity bill for the training of the Dota two uh, at one iteration was twenty mil, um, and they have football pitches size like computers like server rooms and they have specialized hardware to do that um it's not just like your average yeah, computer it's uh, compute units that are built for this maybe with um the energy crisis that we will have it will just be like financially impossible to these yeah it these won't models. be
0: feasible anymore it won't be sustainable not even for google yeah, <laughs> wow maybe, yeah it seems impossible but maybe
1: You are listening to The XOR.
0: Human conversations at the frontier of technology.
1: This is The XOR. The XOR.
0: The XOR. The XOR.
1: The XOR. Let me ask you another question. I feel like, okay, another one of the staples of the show is at the end, um, I like to remind people about an interview question that I had that was amazing. And it was, um, I don't know if you watched the previous podcast and it was something among the lines of the interview question was in your field of your choice like whatever uh, it'd be the one you're applying for um what's the recent greatest thing that blew your mind and you can't mention what's on the news right now so back then the interview question was it's like you can't mention uh the rocket landing of uh, spacex because that's exactly when it happened around the area it's like what's what's the Craziest thing that you thought, no way this is possible. Um, and I've had some good answers before. So you guys are on a high... Uh, so in robotics... So,
0: so like something that I thought it was never going to happen and yet it happened.
1: Yeah, yeah That's uh, what you're asking. Right now. Yeah. Like right now, what's, what do you think is the greatest achievement that you just... It's crazy to believe.
0: That we witnessed, that has happened already.
1: Or, yeah, you've seen you, that you know of in your in your field. It's just like that's that's crazy. Let's say previous podcast. Um, um, Joseph talked about the Space Web Telescope, um, James Webb Telescope. Right. That that's like that's the he's into space and physics. Yeah. Um, that to him was just blew,
0: blew his mind blowing
1: blue blue's mind. And that's happening now. So with that in mind, um, you, can you come up with something that
2: uh... I think for me it's the recent progress in AI like the transformers the AI art and thing like this that that's really for me change thing because you see that oh fuck it's something you think oh it's gonna be there in 10 20 years and then no no it's it's coming and like every year they make something better. They double the size of the network and it's getting better and better. So like it's something you really see that it's it's coming and it's coming really, really fast. Um, So yeah, that's something Mm -hmm. that um, they-
1: I mean, you've mentioned Stable Diffusion and uh, Dali, and I think there's one more that I'm missing Mid Journey. Mid Journey. Um, Like I follow a lot of artists in general, like that are not AI artists, but all of them just spamming those uh, AI generated art. Like I've tried it. And also uh, recently that when I had a startup idea, I was, you know, I in the beginning you want to generate some art, maybe get some concept artists to draw it for you. And I was like, yeah. I, was like I don't have money for that. Let me go on mid journey. And like, I, I actually got some really good results that I was like, typing it in. And for me, that was it's like, ah, I can do this. Like, I can actually show this to someone and say, here's my concept. Have you had something like that? With, you you were saying you're playing with stable diffusion. Uh, did you generate something that you were like, wow, what was your inputs?
2: I was mainly like the the thing I can see is like, I used to play like figuring game war games or role playing games, thing like this, where you always use your mind and don't show any really picture or thing just because you, if you can't draw something, there is no point, but now you can, you can easily make your own game. Like instead of having just, uh, yeah, you can make your own game with nice illustration and things like this. So I was actually like playing with, uh, oh, draw a dwarf, uh, women and something like oh, this. Oh, right. So, like DOD. No. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um. Yeah, because a lot of that is based on narration and imagination, right? And you have to have a good um, dungeon master that is really good at Yeah, but like describing if you it. want
2: to create a board game, sometimes you don't want just... You, you want to have a nice picture somehow, somewhere for the board game. And uh, let me see if I can find it.
1: Hmm. I think it's a good response. I think, yeah, definitely everyone's been touched by it. Everyone's seen it and everyone's... A lot of people outside of the AI sphere because I think they the user interface has become quite easy and it's natural language based so a lot of people just open the website type it in a lot of people who have never touched AI can now do so, and they have experience and a lot of people started like they'll do one thing two things and then then they're hooked and they they actually um
0: can, like you can see can the stop. snowball
1: it doesn't stop at just want like like a chatbot that just like it's okay and you ask a couple of questions and it was that was fun a lot of people are getting really involved in the ai art and they see applications and yeah. it's for sure
0: um yeah it's, it's an avalanche of applications yeah yeah, yeah. Like, and people
1: yeah. from all spheres who are not interested in art or whatever that's always it's like a like, I, even the previous barbecue that we were at, there were people that, like, pulled out their phone and was like, oh, they, this was my input. Okay. Right, you're you're generating some orcs and wearing armor. That's pretty good. Okay.
0: Yeah, I have to say that I was also really impressed by, like, oh, you the amount that. of people. Come on, you can't use that. You have no, to no, 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 okay. I'm not using it. But it is astonishing, like, how many people use it. Like, yeah, yeah. I've seen it it's really cool, yeah, I mean, like like you said, like random people will tell you, yeah, I've also tried it, and I love it like so it's really crazy, well, I mean, I can't really think of like a good answer like as as regards technology, I mean, the only thing I can think of it's it's not related to technology, it's more about like the the the, the all, it's a more about the whole situation with the um, the climate change like i feel like in terms of like the sustainability of the energy like we were discussing before like i feel like finally now the world has understood like how urgent it is to change it's something that few years back it seemed so far, it seemed impossible, and now, because of COVID and war, like politicians have finally understood, like how how important it is to change. So, not sure it answers your question, but mm. like it's just what I thought of, like when you say something that is happening right now that I didn't think it was possible, that that it could happen that quickly, and yet it did. So, yeah, I mean, it's not over, it's just the beginning, but I c- at least I can see, like, the politicians acknowledging the, the challenge. Mm.
1: That's a good answer. No, it's even a better answer. Because you're basically saying the the um, population's attitude towards climate and needing to do something has yeah, like, I mean, like, very quickly shifted. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, when was Greta Thunberg, like, starting her fight? When did she start? you know I have had own strikes that was just a few years ago right and she was completely alone she was fighting for you know the, yeah well the, well she wasn't alone but it there wasn't any
1: I've definitely push. seen a lot of I mean being part of the eF cohort I mean the, a lot of a lot of young people as, i mean spoken to a friend just uh, yesterday the robotics engineer like very interested in doing climate change startups, but is maybe maybe not the hottest thing before. Like everyone, a lot yeah. of people are super interested in having climate impact and doing better for the climate.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's something I find amazing. I'm I'm so happy that it happened that it happened so quickly. I'm not happy that it for the way it happened because you know like we had to get there because of all the bad you know the war and covid but that's Mm. one positive down let's say one positive side I would say I think like probably like most of the CEOs of like any companies in the world now accept that their main challenge now is to make their business sustainable so
1: you know what I was thinking the other day that I think is so underrated the um, you know the ocean cleanup project there was this uh, young guy with long hair and a weird name yeah uh, I, can't his name. I think he's Bulgarian or something um he is um yeah, and I was like that channel and then I think they had some um, milestone that they've achieved they've cleaned out like I don't know some gigaton of uh rubbish from the ocean and I was like. That is, to me, super impressive. Like that guy was alone for sure. Like he yeah. was obviously. I mean, he he has had millions in funding from yeah. charities, from crowdsourcing, but um, he's he's gone far in the past yeah. what, like, ten years. Like just uh, from prototypes, from like just just uh, trials, from very manual labor. Now they're doing it such a big scale that is so impressive like
0: yeah they got traction all these similar projects they got a lot more traction than they used to right so yeah we have to hope it continues this way
1: that's a very powerful note i think we'll (laughs) end it there i think it's been amazing thank you guys a lot let's do a let's do a triple trifecta (laughs) and that's it that's xor 0007
0: Thank you guys.